You are listening to Meet the Thriller Author, the podcast where I interview writers of mysteries, thrillers, and suspense books. My name is Alan Peterson, and this is episode number 168. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be meeting Scott Shepard, who is a veteran writer, producer, and showrunner with years of experience running network series, having overseen hundreds of hours of television. His extensive list of credits include some of the most popular hit series from the past three decades, including The Equalizer, Miami Vice, Quantum Leap, True Calling, and The Dead Zone, to name a few. He has also collaborated with a number of best-selling novelists on various television projects, including Stephen King, Harlan Coben, and Karen Slaughter. He is currently teaching television writing in the graduate program at the University of Texas, Austin, and has currently just published his first mystery novel, The Last Commandment, a transatlantic police procedural featuring Austin Grant, a Scotland Yard detective tracking a killer whose victim's deaths correspond to a transgression of one of the Ten Commandments. I really enjoyed talking with uh, Scott about his uh, impressive uh, career in television, making the transition to writing mystery novels, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned for the interview coming up here in just one moment. Before we get to the interview, though, a quick word about Masterclass, offering online classes created for students of all skill levels with instructors that are the best in the world. Check out thrillingweeds.com forward slash masterclass, and you can become a better writer with a Masterclass annual membership, which will grant you access to exclusive video lessons taught by literary masters, including Neil Gaiman, David Baldacci, Walter Mosley, Dan Brown, Margaret Atwood, James Patterson, and many more. So check out thrillingreads.com forward slash masterclass. Signing up via that link is a great way to support this podcast financially. So I thank you. All right, here is my interview with Scott Shepard. And on the podcast today, I have uh, Scott Shepard, who is a veteran writer, uh, producer, and showrunner with years of experience running network, uh, network series. Uh, his production and screenwriting credits is pretty incredible. It includes The Equalizer, Miami Vice, Outer Limits, Murder, She Wrote, Quantum Leap, which is one of my favorite shows. Uh, and The Last Commandant is his first mystery novel, which was uh, published recently on July 13th. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Scott. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. And um, so why? Wow, your, your, your work as a writer and producer in the TV industry for almost three decades. Uh, so why the switch to writing books? Well, I mean, it sort of was a gradual thing. I mean... It was something I always wanted to do. I mean, I've read since I was a little kid. I've collected, you know, lots of thrillers and mysteries. That's what I primarily read. Some horror stuff and some fantasy stuff. And I have like 10,000 first editions. And, and, you know, I really wanted to start doing that, but I just sort of fell into television, you know, uh, out of college. I mean, when I was in college uh, at Stanford, I actually taught a course on the detective novel of murder mystery. So I've loved it since I was a kid, but you know, television was something I also always loved. And, and that's kind of what I, you know, spent my life doing, but always continued reading. And then one of the things is I kind of moved through the shows and started running shows. Um, I also started working with a bunch of writers, you know, uh, well-known writers that we adapted their work and they sort of encouraged me to kind of fulfill something I wanted to do. So that started, I would say, I wrote my first two books about five, six years ago. One was a noir horror thriller, and then the other was a an apocalyptic Western. And then this idea for this mystery thriller, The Last Commandment being the start of a series, was something I've had in my head for a long, long time, and then I finally got around to doing it. Well, it almost felt good then to finally get that vision out and, and get it on uh, on paper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so so you so who were some of the writers you say you were a fan of of of, of mysteries and horror and suspense novels who were some of the uh, writers that that influenced you uh, some of the authors that influenced you as a writer? Well, I would say the two who influenced me the most probably uh which kind of was um Ross McDonald when I was uh, in high school. Uh that became my love of sort of modern detective fiction. Um him being the um the follow-up to Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett is always that sort of holy trio. Uh, and so it was him. And then on the other side, it was also at the same time with Stephen King. It still continues to be. Um, so I would say those two writers and King, I've had the fortune of, of working on a couple shows with him, you know, that we've adapted of his. So that's been something, you know, those, those were the two primarily, the, the two biggest influencers for me, I think. 
the book is the last commandment and uh, she's kind of curious how you got that idea to write a mystery based on the 10 commandments, how that all came about. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, you know, it's, it's an idea that I've had, like I said, for a long time, mm-hmm. probably three decades. I originally thought of it as a movie idea and it started with the two, with two characters, these two cops, um, one being Austin Grant, the Scotland Yard cop. And then this New York cop, this younger cop, I mean, Austin Grant's in his 60s and about to retire in three weeks. And then John Frankel, who's a young New York cop. And the idea, I think, you know, when you first thought of it as a movie, you know, it was coming off the Lethal Weapon things and movies and stuff like that. And I kind of thought a weird buddy movie where you take two characters who are fishes out of fish out of water, you know, and mm-hmm. put a New York cop in London and vice versa. And then the other thing is, um, I just always kind of like puzzles and you know, read a lot of Ellery Queen books growing up. And um, there was also a guy named Lawrence Sanders who wrote one of the first great serial killer books I remember, which was The First Deadly Sin, which is way before Seven, which was a guy who was killing according to The Seven Deadly Sins. And then he wrote a couple standalone books, like one called The Eighth Commandment, one called The Tenth Commandment, that were sort of inspired by certain commandments. So I guess I got this idea in my head way before Seven ever came out or anything like that. And then by the time I sat down to write it, you know, I'd always kind of known the start and I knew the end and, uh, and, and, it, and it great, it, it gave me a great puzzle, a Da Vinci code, you know, thing to sort of follow along. But what it's really about is these three characters, the Scotland Yard cop, uh, Austin Grant, this, this New York cop, and then, um, uh, the Scotland Yard cop's estranged daughter, Rachel, who's a, um, journalist in New York city. It's about those three characters as is the sequel, which I just turned in and is going to come out this time next summer. Oh, so cool. So it's a, so it's a series. This is the first in a new series then. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the whole idea. And I mean, I've got like a whole bunch of books. I can write about these characters sort of forever because um, they kind of run the gamut of age and what they're asp- aspire to do and where they are in their lives and the relationships that all three of them have with each other. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, and I was kind of curious about the process too, because like you said, you you, you have two different detectives from two different uh, uh, countries uh, in in England and the in the U.S. And the challenge of researching like how policing works in the U.S. and then in London, and uh, how did, how do you approach that, all that? And was that a challenge? I, I mean, I wish I could say I did a lot of research. Uh, I mean, I've just read a lot of mystery books where there's a lot of Scotland Yard and British cops and then mm-hmm. New York cops. Um, it really came from a character standpoint it, it, to me. I, like you mentioned, the equalizer was a television show I did a long time ago that people still seem to like I me. Mean, they, they remade it now with uh, Queen Latifah. Uh, and there was the Denzel Washington, um, movies, but I did it with, um, the original with Edward Woodward, who mm-hmm. was a wonderful actor who was in a movie called Breaker Morant. And he was in his sixties and, you know, I kind of knew how to write for Edward's character and he was sort of, um, a decent, but, you know, kind of quiet guy who had a wicked sense of humor and that sort of became grant and then frankel like i mean i think again i think in the back of my head originally because i thought of it sort of as a movie 30 years ago i was thinking oh sean connery at 60 could play the cop and de niro in his 30s could play the new york cop and they were a little more sort of in each other's face by the time i start to write the novel what was really interesting is there's a begrudging respect between the two of them and they really aren't oil and water um, and they really become emotionally involved with each other and um, Grant's daughter. It really came from a character standpoint. And, you know, I, I looked up a few things like the hierarchy of Scotland Yard commanders and how you get there and same thing with detectives and everything like, but the rest of it is really, it's not so, I mean, it, it's really not a police procedure, even though it's got that element. It really is a character study with these three people. And I like to think it's a page turning puzzle and it's kind of thrilling and fun and it's emotional and romantic in places. So it sort of has a whole lot of stuff going for it. I think at least that seems to be what people who've been reading it have been telling me. Yeah. I really did enjoy that too. Yeah. Like you said, the, uh, yeah, there are the very tight chapters. It really keeps you the turning the pages and uh, you know you enjoy the mystery, but then as a as a writer too, my the that that part of my brain starts to kick in. I'm like, wow, how's he doing this? <laughs> is that something that you like? You plan? Is that do you plan that to make it to make it tight to make it the the action you know continuing? I was just kind of worrying about your process on that one on your writing process. Um, I you know I kind of really always feel like um, structure is freedom, but I didn't use an outline for this at all. I just have the structure. I just I knew the first murder, and I knew I knew who the killer was and and how it ended 
But, you know, I kind of just sort of said, I want you to keep uh, turning the pages. Um, Harlan Kogan, who's a friend of mine, once told me, we, we did a series together a few years ago we developed. And one of the first things he said to me is that he's, I want my readers to be really upset with me at three o'clock in the morning when they get to chapter 15. They go, okay, I'm done. And then you go, oh, I got to go to chapter 16. And, and then one of the things I kind of have always sort of done, I mean, the first half of the book is really Grant's point of view. Then each chapter sort of switches perspectives. And, and especially in the follow-up, uh, which right now is called Till Death, I use all three of their perspectives. And I kind of like that idea. You get to the end of a chapter, and there's usually a reveal, uh, either a plot reveal, an emotional reveal, hopefully both. And then you're going, okay, I'm going to turn to the next page. And you go, wait a sec, this is not answering that question. It's another character's point of view, progressing the story. And my idea is within the course of six to 10 pages that I get you hooked on that story. And then you go back to the next chapter and you want to see what that is. But suddenly you're back in like Grant's point of view. And the idea is just to keep you going. And meanwhile, the emotion kind of sneaks up on you because that really, it is about the relationships more than anything else. And did you base your characters on on people you know, or is it all just all in your head? Um. Interesting you ask that. I mean, I think, like I said, I think uh, the Scotland Yard cop, like I say, who's retiring in a few weeks and he's, you know, had a rough time of it because his beloved wife died a year ago of cancer and he's estranged from his daughter. Part of it was I kind of knew Edward's character. Um, Edward Woodward from The Equalizer, like I said, he had this Mm kind of fun sort of um, sense of humor that like after, you know, you'd be very quiet for a long time and then it'll hit you with a zinger. And it's like, there's a point in the book when all these horrible things have sort of happened and it's Christmas day and a guy brings a delivery, you know, to him, a box. And and the guy just casually asks, uh, saying, Oh, so did you have a nice Christmas? And, you know, Grant just says not particularly, you know, I mean, that's kind of like what his sense of humor is. So that's where he kind of was. The other thing was one of the great advantages for me was over the years that I didn't write this 30 years ago that the perspectives became sort of my own. I mean, you know, I'm sort of, I'm in my 60s. And so my, so Grant's perspective is sort of my perspective now. Um, Frankel and Rachel, there's a, it's sort of modeled after my, me and my wife uh, and how we first met each other um, 35 years ago. And so it's kind of like that relationship I kind of draw on too. Um, so and then I go from there. The other interesting thing about Grant, about Frankel was, I do think it was that oil and water relationship I was thinking of starting with. Uh, but there's a scene really early on in the book when they first sit down in the Astro Diner, uh, which is in the, this book, it's in the next book too, which happened to be in New York City on 55th and 6th. It's just this little cafe. My wife and I, when we first were married, used to live upstairs in a one-bedroom apartment up there in New York City when I was doing the Equalizer. And we used to call up and order milkshakes in the middle of the night, which just gives you Frankel's love of milkshakes. I set the first meeting between Frankel and and um, and Grant there, and Grant notices that Frankel's wearing a wedding ring, and he says, oh, I didn't realize you were married. He says, no, he says, my wife left me two years ago, and um, she went off with, my, with the super in the building, and she went off to Hawaii, but you know, I haven't been able to take off the wedding ring. And he says, I don't know if I, you know, my shrink says, if I take it off, oh, it's too big a thing for me. And then I don't know whether I throw it away, et cetera. I guess, you know, he says, I guess I'm just waiting for the right person to come along to take the ring off for. And that sort of really humanized him. And it became the touchstone for me, for Frankel through the rest of the book and into the next novel and everything, which is very, even more emotional than the first one. You had a, a, a lot of success, obviously, in, in, in Hollywood with, the, with those shows like The Equalizer and Quantum Leap and all those. Um, and that's such a tough business to break into. And uh, so I'm kind of curious about how that worked out for you. Um, and then uh, kind of you, like your opinions now that you're on the book side of the business, too. Like uh, any differences or similarities between the two? I mean, I think there's a lot of similarities and then there's a lot of uh, differences. Uh, and I think the difference is why I like the novel stuff right now. I mm-hmm. mean, you mean your question being about like, you know, what it was like breaking in, you mean? In yeah. The, way back when I was writing with a partner, I, a guy I knew at Stanford, we're still friends and we're still doing, some, you know, we've kind of gone full circle and are doing some projects for TV right now together. A really wonderful writer, a guy named Dan Pine. He's got a mystery that's really great that came out early in the year called Water Memory that everybody should pick up and read. Um, so Dan and I were in um, like a small apartment the size of this computer I'm looking at. He had uh, been married at a young age and 
they broke up pretty early. And then uh, his wife moved out and I moved in this little apartment. And in the course of the year, we wrote four features on a TV pilot. And then um, we ended up selling the pilot to somebody at Warner Brothers, uh, an idea that I'd had since high school. Nothing ever came of it. And then like 10 or 15 years later, we literally sold it again to NBC and almost got it made at NBC. But what had happened there is I, I can't, I come from a, uh, a showbiz family because it's really in the movie business. They're all producers. And so it was one of the reasons that I kind of wanted to be, I always want to be a writer and I also wanted to succeed on my own. And I thought on the written page, it speaks for itself, you know, producers and everything. You know, I've been a producer for 30, 40 years. I could tell you what it is, but sometimes I can't tell you what it is. My father was a producer. I never knew exactly what he did for the longest time. Um, so the thing was, you know, I knew people through the family and, and we were able to get a script to somebody at Aaron Spelling Productions um, who passed it along to the guy who was running a show called Matt Houston. And he really liked it uh, the, the, the spec, and, and had us come in and pitch stories and they bought a story and they liked the script. And I, you know, I think everybody gets a door open to where they get something in front of somebody. The one thing I knew after that, you have to succeed on your own. You have to succeed in the work. I mean, for the first 10 years, I wouldn't even talk about, you know, where my family is from now, you know, I mean, I'm, totally happy ever talking about it because 120 scripts later, four books later, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, I must've done something right. <laughs> but at the time that's what kind of got us started. And, you know, it was the same thing with the books. Uh, what happened is in, you know, about 10, 12 years ago, starting when, I mean, I've done a, we've done a couple of King adaptations that have done uh, very well. We did the dead zone, which I finished running the last year of that. And then we created this show uh, Haven, which was based on King's novella, or novel, um, the, uh, the Colorado Kid that he wrote for Hard Case Crime, and that ran for six seasons. And then I kind of met Harlan, and then I met Harlan. Somebody put us together, and he had an idea, and we sold it to Fox. Didn't get made, but we had a really good time writing. And one of the things I did with Harlan was um, I wrote this long outline for our project, and I decided to write it in prose, like Harlan had written in Harlan's style, like this 45-page outline. And people thought Harlan had written it, and I really enjoyed doing it. And from that point on, every project I'm doing, somebody who would really never write outlines because structure was pretty easy, I was writing longer and longer outlines, always in prose, and it was the frustrated or the, you know, or maybe um, the aspiring novelist in me. And then I had the privilege of working um, with a with Karen Slaughter is a terrific writer, great person. And we um, I've been introduced to her and loved her work. And we sold the Grant County books to Sony and developed that. Again, it didn't go like most stuff doesn't. But at that point, Karen's agent, Victoria Sanders, wonderful agent, Karen and I, I became incredibly Victoria. Victoria always sort of said, you know, if you really do go write a novel or something like that, you know, you should let me see it. You know, and Karen said you should give it to Victoria. So at some point, I sat down about eight years ago and wrote my first novel that became, it's called Descending Sun. And I gave it to Victoria, the, you know, the first draft and she read it and she really, really liked it. So again, it was the idea of somebody opening a door to get it, to have somebody read something, but they had to like it. So those two things kind of, again, it's what I always tell writers that work with me or the writers I teach, I just go, the one thing as a writer, you can always just write, 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 write. You're, no one's going to write anything the same way. And I do believe you'll know somebody who knows somebody who'll get something in front of somebody. You know, if it's good, if it's different, something will happen with it. You know, I mean, my friends and people I know who are actors, I, you know, I always say you really got to have, you know, a strong backbone for that because it's such a random thing. I mean, I've sat in certainly enough, uh, you know, casting sessions, auditions where 15, 20 people come in and any given day, you just got to pick the one out of the 20. And you, it's like writers, I don't believe you have to go through that as much. So. Yeah, it's fascinating too. You mentioned that you going great, and then all of a sudden, it never makes it to the to show to the last stage. Um, so, is that just something you just you just have to get used to that business? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I you know I I think one of the things I've also told people is um, I know people who are working on the same script, probably the same book too. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, over and over, and like you know, slave over every word to make it perfect and. And it's years. And then when it doesn't go anywhere, they're bereft because they put all their eggs into the one basket. I mean, I care about, you know, everything I'm working on, but I've learned a long time ago, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So by the time you get to that position, hopefully you got something else you're sort of working on. I mean, like right now, um, like, okay, so over the course of this last year, when we knew we were going to 
uh, that Otto Penzler and Mysterious Press were going to publish The Last Commandment. We sort of made a two-book deal. So I got to write the second one. And while I'm waiting now, you know, where we just, it's now in the copy editing stage. And, you know, so we'll go through all that. But I'm going to start writing the third one, you know, now. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, me and Dan, who interestingly, I've stayed friends all these years, because uh, what happened is we we started off on Matt Houston together. And then Dan ended up, um, a little funny, really quick story was that when we finished the first year of, uh, of Matt Houston, um, we, our agent at the time came to us and said, Hey, I have this client named Tony Yurkovich who's writing this pilot about these two cops named Crockett and Tubbs called Dade, Dade County Fastlane, about these DE agents in Miami. If you want to maybe go talk to them and hang out with DE agents, I'm going, eh, I don't want to go do that. And Dan decided to go. And of course, that became my advice. Dan comes back. We're starting the next year, Matt Houston. I'm helping Dan break the story for the first Miami Vice episode he's writing. Not only does Miami Vice get put on the air, it gets put on the air opposite our show so dan leaves and goes to miami vice and we've stayed friends all these years looking for stuff to do because we we hadn't really broken up we actually split our partnership so we could get paid more because they were getting a good deal for two of us for the price of one but you know he's always you know it's funny he's he's been married one year i'm 34 years next month he's 35 years you know uh now and we have literally the same anniversary he's written five novels i've written four novels we read each other's novels first and really kind of help each other bounce them off each other and we're always looking for something to do and then in the last year or two we literally ended up starting to write some stuff again together and we adapted the grifters um for showtime um a modern version of that of the jim thompson novel the stephen frears movie mm-hmm. and the script turned out great you know showtime really liked it but ultimately like you say it didn't go forward but now it's suddenly we have 10 other studio networks that are looking at it meanwhile dan and i are looking at uh two or three other things you know that have been sent to us to adapt for television so you know right now so i'm going okay so we're promoting the last commandment i'm going to do the changes on you know uh till death i'm writing the third one and meanwhile we're going to probably hopefully adapt another television series and if it goes that's why there's two of us we can figure out how to write our novels and also run a television series but that's why i say don't put all your eggs in one basket yeah what, what's your thoughts too on the, on the in the last few years with the whole streaming and netflix it's just like tv is now so like the premiere thing now is like is like these television shows. Is that do you ever could you ever imagine that it was going to turn like that now to what it's been like the last few years? I, you know, I like to say that you know I and uh, the other person I've been writing with for a lot over the last few years in television is a woman named Cindy McCreary, uh, the person I teach the classes with in Texas. She's a screenwriter, um, and but she also teaches at UT in the grad school there, and. Uh, you know, we were sort of ahead of this curve of the novels for television. Like we were writing like these kind of things eight, nine years ago. Um, and it was sort of the idea when the streaming was starting. So I think we saw it coming novels for television and that is the best stuff. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, I, I don't watch much network television anymore. Um, it, it, you know, there's, you can tell there's lots of writers, lots of people inputting into stuff. And you're just kind of going like, you know, I, it, it's, it's hard to get 10 people sitting around a table agreeing on the movie they just saw. So imagine trying to put a script together. Whereas, I mean, the shows that we've been watching recently, like we just, you know, the, what's um, Mayor of Eastwick, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, the Kate Winslet thing that was, I thought was fantastic. And like Brad Inglesby wrote every episode, right? We've been watching now, catching up with that show Unforgotten on PBS. I forget what the person's name. He's written every episode, you know? I'm not saying it has to be that, but what's really great is, and the great thing about writing novels for me, it's my point of view. It's the story I want to tell. Um, and I think the really good television, especially in the streaming thing, you're watching literally novels for television where one or two people are responsible for the written vision and usually one or two directors. And that's why some of the stuff when it's really good is really good because it's um, it's like reading a novel written by one person. It's supposed to five people coming in and rewriting it. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, like True, True Detective was like that that first season. I can't remember the, the name of the writer, but that was uh, yeah, Nick. Uh, Pol- yeah, whatever. Oh yeah, Palazzi, Palazzi. <laughs> yeah. And he was a professor, I think. You know, and he wrote, yeah, the first yeah. season was great. You know, except yeah. for the, except for the ending, but but the first season was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. That, that is true. It's kind of a weird ending. <laughs> it sort of promised to be, at least to me. It's, I kind of thought it was going to have something to be be much more specific to Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey and then it sort of was a little random but yeah it's like that that was unbelievably well done you know and um like for all of us who love that kind of storytelling that was a great thing that that happened 
And do you feel like a, like writing a television script or a Hollywood script and writing a book? You're saying you have you're probably a little more control over your, over your book versus the a script. Do you, do you enjoy that more? Or is- oh, I mean, I enjoy that a lot more. I mean, the big thing is with television um, is you can't you can't just kind of figure it out as you go along, uh, and uh, and the surprises that have come from writing the novels. Um, you know, in television, you got too many people you're who are depending on what you're doing. Everything from, you know, directors and actors and people who are shooting it to studios to networks to other producers. So every step along the way, because they need to kind of make these things in eight or nine days, which is a, almost a physical impossibility. You have to have a lot of stuff figured out and and done. And it's literally like a train that once you if you fall off the train, you're done. You know, um, what I found. I still put a gun to my head writing the books. I kind of, each draft is always of the four novels has been kind of three months is sort of what it takes me to get through the first draft. Um, But like in the, in the sequel to the last commandment, all I knew is the opening scene, which was a great hook. And then I had no idea what the rest of it was going to be. I mean, I had no idea who did it. I didn't know why they did it. And I figured it out as I went along and I got to the end of it. And maybe it's just because of all the plotting I've done in television and all the thousands of mystery and thriller books that it sort of kind of came together, but there were such great surprises along the way because I was the only one who was doing it. And at that point, you know, I'm writing for an audience of one who is Otto, who's the publisher, right? Because he's the one who has to like it and accept it. And what was really great was when I turned in the book, um, he had no plot character, uh, emotion pacing issues. We just talked about some verbiage in places and he was really helpful in terms of, uh, of that. But um uh, he said, you know, I, he has counted on the fact that I knew how to tell a story. And that's the one thing I think I probably do know how to do. It's the best thing I've learned in television. Yeah. So you think, so you think that what you learned all those years in television helped you with, with uh, writing the book, uh, you, you were able to funnel that, that knowledge into the, into novel writing. Yeah, I, I think a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, except for the fact was I realized in, you know, novels, I could take some time. The biggest thing, and I've said this to a bunch of people over the years and over the last few weeks talking about the book you know, the thing I always would say about uh, television is that it's not a radio show <laughs> like this is, yeah. uh, you know. Um, so then I kind of realized when I started writing a book, I went, wait a sec, it is a radio show. <laughs> <laughs> you have to describe everything. So that was, you know, the interesting thing is what do you need to tell somebody that they can't see or hear in front of them? But it also allowed it to just have this um, rhythm. I always kind of write with a, I have music on all the time when I write, I always kind of a rhythm to me. And part of it is I want to make sure that in each chapter, that at least I'm pushing the story along. What's been really nice is I've had a few conversations with some really, you know, well-established authors over the last few weeks on some of these interview things. And they're all talking about how much they like the story and the story keeps moving. And, 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 and I'm kind of going, that's, what's really important to me because I feel like if you push the story going through, even though all I care about really is the characters, the stories which you get to hang the characters and it allows you to find out more about it. If you do a chapter where I find out a whole bunch about Rachel and and Grant's relationship, then at the end of it, I want to make sure to get you to the next one that I do drop some kind of little bomb or something that wants to put you moving the, the story forward. But in television, you don't always get a chance to do that because you know, you have to keep things moving. And plus you're writing to a clock basically, right? I mean, TV, it's an hour, right? Yeah. It's, and, I, and imagine you also have like all the visuals uh, that you don't have, like you said, you don't have to get as descriptive as you do with a, with a book. <laughs> right. I've also figured out too, that at some point what I, what I like to do too is in the books is I'll describe up to a point, but then sometimes what you don't describe, right. Is, mm-hmm. is, is better to their imagination. Like I don't think, the murders, even though there are a bunch of murders in the last commandment because of the nature of their, the Ten Commandments, um, they're fairly gruesome, but I don't spend a lot of time uh, describing them. It's mm-hmm. kind of like there's also a little bit of a wink to it, just the nature of somebody killing according to the Ten Commandments, like the Da Vinci Code is sort of sort of a fun chase, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I kind of figure what I don't tell you is I'll let you go as gruesome or not gruesome as you want. Yeah, in, your, in the reader's imagination. Yeah, let them go there. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and so what is it when you're writing a book? What's what's your what's your day writing day look like then? Do you and you work in so many different projects? Do you focus on one at a time, or do you go back and forth? 
Um, I kind of try to carve out for the books, you know, and look, I mean, now, because I knew I was going to write the second one once we sold the first one. So I said, okay, I'm going to carve out some time, which was, you know, from like November through February is when I kind of wrote the second book, um, the first draft of it. I have a fairly, very specific, I'm pretty disciplined, but undisciplined. I'm not one of these writers who sits down every day and writes. Uh, I just can't do that. I, but Billy Wilder used to say when he sat down at the typewriter, it was written now the computer. And I'm definitely that I'm always like talking about to my wife, what I'm writing. I play a lot of golf and it's really during the pandemic. We were walking and carrying our bags, you know, um, you know, seven miles on the golf course. And I have a buddy who's not a writer, but he, you know, he'll see me off in the, like, I'll hit the ball in the trees and I'll be yeah, he goes like, what's going on? What are you thinking about? And I'm going, well, if I put Frankel here and so, I mean, like, I'm always sort of thinking about what that is. Right. And then he kind of heard the story of the book over like three months. Cause I was trying to figure things out or taking a walk in the neighborhood. But what I've generally done now was kind of like if Monday rolled around, I, I get up early and I start writing early, like by five o'clock in the morning, I'm kind of at my computer and I kind of works about 11 or 12 where I try and just blast out a chapter. So I just blast out a chapter. Like you say, it's usually 2,500 words or something like that. Get it onto a page. And then that night I read it out loud to my wife and just kind of watching her. She's a good audience and she'll like ask if something confused about something. But then I think about stuff and I go, great, but I don't do anything. I don't ever make any notes. One of the things I'm either blessed or cursed with, I kind of remember everything in my head. And I know I'll remember it when I get back to it. I haven't been writing things down. But then the next day, so that's Monday. Then on Tuesday, what I'll do, okay, I got to write chapter. That was chapter four on Monday. Chapter five on is the next one. I'll spend kind of wandering around thinking about what's five. I usually want to know um, what's the name of the, the, the author. He's great. The guy who wrote the LBJ books. Um, anyway, he once said that he wants to go to sleep knowing what the first line is of the next that he's going to write the next day. So I usually know because of the way these books are structured, I know what I'm going to start with the next day, but that's all I know. So I wander around on Tuesday and at some point I come in here and I go, okay, here's what you do. Just take a piece of paper, put a gun to your head and write down everything you know about that chapter that you want to happen. And usually it says like bar, kill, love, argument, done, you know, and I don't know what that, but I put that away. And then on Wednesday, I come in and write that chapter. So that way, it's suddenly there's three chapters a week. And over the course of three months, you kind of have the book. And then generally what ends up happening is, it's happened in every book so far, the last 100 pages, that that pattern changes. Suddenly, it's every day because uh, Stephen King says something I always love. He says, you get to this point, and you know, as a writer, I'm sure you know this too, he calls it the God of knows. You get to this point where you got to know how it ends, even though you sort of do. So you're rushing through. And if the last 100 pages or last 50 pages don't come out in a blast, that generally tells you there's something wrong with the 300 pages before it. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, because yeah, you kind of like, you, you, you just... You, you're excited to see it to come to the, everything tie in and everything come to an end. So it's kind of like yeah, a but rush. Then happens, but then what happens is I generally like on this last one, the one I just finished, you know, cause like I didn't know who did it or why they did it. Uh, you know, I kind of said, I got to the end, I kind of figured it out about hundred, 200 pages of what I thought I was going to do. And I moved it along and I was really happy with the way it ended. And then I went back to the front and I'm going, okay, now you got to start over. Cause so after that process, I take, I was going to take a week or so, but I said, now like two days later, I put what was like a 470 page, you know, draft, um, and I put it next to the computer and I just started retyping it and tightening it and correcting things over the next four or five weeks. And in the course of what I found out, I really changed like maybe 5% of the plot. It's like, I was thinking, God, what you started with, you know, was never, you know, you ended up like not knowing what you were starting with, but there must've been something in my head that kind of knew, no, this is where you're kind of heading emotionally or plot wise. And, um, which I guess is a good thing. I think I would have probably figured that out if I was going too far afield while I was writing it. And what do you use to write? Right. Uh, what computer program do you use? Use Word? I use Word. Yeah. I use Word and just have a double space. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'm not, and I'm pretty decent with the computers, but I've always had a the funny thing with Word is I found a way to kind of literally put, you know, the double space and the margins, because I always write long, I kind of like, as some, as some writers want to like tighten their margins, mine are a little wider because I'm kind of going like maybe look at shorter, you know, but, <laughs> but it, it's so they're literally I've never been able to duplicate this. So I have this one like document that I wrote that's sitting in my saved document files that literally is called something that I literally open it up and then I literally delete most of it and put and write the first few words. So when I start the document, 
it's in that format, you know, because it's just pleasing to my eye. But yeah, it's like, I, it's like I, a I, template. <laughs> yeah, it's a template. That's my template. I should, yeah. you know, somebody probably somebody will show me how to save that, but that's what I end up doing. You know, <laughs> what, what do you what do you use? Uh, I use a, a I use a, a writing a program called Scrivener. Um, it's just uh, been using that for a few years now, um, and I just like it because it lets you drag pl- chapters around. Because sometimes I write kind of messy. Yeah, my friends who use Pages also, you know, they use that. Um, yeah, yeah, I do use that because uh, when once I go once you get into the editing, you know, with working with editors, they all use a word and I use, I don't have word, but I have pages and then it, it, all the comments, everything comes through. So, yeah. So once I'm done with Scrivener, then I, I stick, I stay with a rewriting with pages. So. Right. Whereas, you know, in, in television, most of us use final draft, you know? Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you about that. Cause that's like the movies, the screenplay writing, teleplay writing. Yeah, script, so. Everybody sort of uses for, there was scripter for a long time. I mean, way back when, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that we were literally writing our first screenplays on uh ibm selectric typewriters oh uh, yeah <laughs> well no we were writing them on our own typewriters and then a friend of ours had an ibm selectric typewriter that we would like literally say we'll take you to dinner for a couple of times and we can come over and retype the scripts on your typewriter because we don't have to use whiteout and it was self-correcting you know <laughs> yeah, like the fancy stuff <laughs> yeah, well, that was a great thing and then and then dan and i had kind of we had epson computers were the first computers we had and then we had those computers with the floppy disks Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. My first, my first year in college was in 1987 and like nobody had personal computers. You, you went right. to computer lab. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. And now everybody's like kind of writing on their Apple watch or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That is crazy. I, that I haven't been able to master like the, on the phone and stuff. That's the, yeah, no. <laughs> no, I kind of, I, I kind of like being in my office at home writing. I mean, even with the laptop, we have, you know, the laptops and everything. I never liked that that much. I mean, you know, and occasionally I'll on a piece of paper, I'll scribble crap or with dialogue. Sometimes when I um, get to force something out, I'll just literally take three or four blank pages and I'll just like just scribble like a scene in dialogue and just whatever comes. I can barely read my writing. And then I basically put it into this into the book and into the manuscript and have it make sense and read better. (laughs) Hopefully. I'm also curious to know because you mentioned that you've coll- you collaborated with some with several uh, best-selling uh, novelists, and that's to put it lightly, like Stephen King and uh, Harlan Coben and Karen Slaughter. So, how does that uh, now that you're on the other side? Uh, do you are you envisioning seeing? Are you working to option this out? And how does that whole process work? It's just so, it just sounds so surreal. Um, you know, it's funny. I've done nothing specific about it because I just really want the books to work as books and then we can go to that. I mean, we, we've gotten a couple of inquiries already. I've, I've had long-term, you know, uh, television agents and movie agents for, you know, like my agent who has his own literary agent done very well for himself. Um, he's been my agent, like he's likes to say six months longer than I've been married to my wife. Uh, so like for 35 years and, and, and one of his you know, agents is now one of his partners. She was a manager at some point and um, she loves mystery and thrillers. And we read a lot of the same stuff. She's been really encouraging in terms of me pursuing this. So, uh, you know, what, what happens, I'm kind of going like, I kind of right now want, you know, to get people, you know, interested in reading the last command, but the nice thing has been that almost to a person, everybody who's read it really likes it and really enjoys it. I'm saying spread the word, tell your friends. And what's really also kind of been cool is that of the maybe dozen or 15 people I have who've read the sequel that I turned in, um, un, you know, nobody, I didn't ask them. They just all volunteered that they liked it even better than the first one. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's cool. And I kind of was hoping that because that's the series television part of it. It's like the reason you like it better is because you know, you like, you know, these characters and now you're walking with them into your home or your pages. So I, you know, I kind of feel like what will happen eventually is if we can get some heat and get people to kind of really, if the thing takes off at some point, then, you know, we would maybe turn it into a tell. The idea in my head has always been, yeah, it was originally a movie, but you haven't read the book. The first book to me is a um, binge watching six to 10 episode mm-hmm. um, television, you know, year of a television show. The second book is the second year. I think that the, um, the dream is to have, you know, the book turn into a television series at some point. Now, what's interesting is, like you say, best-selling authors, a lot of them 
you know, they don't have experience in television. They don't have the time to do television. They have to pump out novels and they haven't done it. So they pair them up with people like me and fellow showrunners or creators. And we do that. And the creators sort of take the television people take the lead on it. I've always wanted to really firmly embrace the writer, the novelists and have them be part of it or do it with them. Um, King has King hasn't done them with us, but he's certainly overseen the pilot stage. Um, but that collaborative process, I really want the, you know, the novelist to be pleased with what we're doing. But in this case, somebody even asked me, so said, well, you know, would you ask me the question saying, would you have another, like sell it to Hollywood and have some showrunner adapt your things? I'm kind of going, probably not. I, I'm kind of going like, cause in most cases, the novels have no experience in Hollywood. That's where I came from. I know mm-hmm. how to do this. I could put this on television not necessarily in my sleep, but I know how to do it. I would hire my, you know, I know I'm lucky enough over these years that I have a lot of good friends who are really talented writers and showrunners, and they've all expressed interest that we could just put together a staff and we could turn, you know, the books into a television series if and when that time comes. And yeah, you know, it'll come when it comes, if it comes. Yeah, yeah, because I totally saw that when I was uh, when I was reading the Last Commandment. I'm like, I could totally see this like a <laughs> like a Netflix uh, six parter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I know. I mean, like at some point, we'll probably you know go to. We talked about it. You know, it's just uh, like go to Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, Hugh Laurie. You know, uh, one of these great British actors who could play Grant. You know, because mm-hmm. that's a, it's a great part. And, um, and then the other two would kind of fall into that and sort of see if we could put it together. But I don't know, it's like sort of, it's two different parts of my brain. And right now I'm just sort of saying, I kind of know how to do the TV thing and I can do that. I'll work on, and what's also nice is by Dan and I, you know, looking at these novels that we're talking about possibly adapting. I mean, one of the things we've been talking about doing um, and we're waiting to get to send to King is uh, a reboot of the dead zone. Oh, nice. like 15 years down the line, picking it up 15 years down the line, like the next generation of the dead zone. So I kind of like the idea that right now, unless somebody wants to beat down my door and say, we need to make the last commandment into a TV series. I like the idea that that, that, that part of my, you know, the TV stuff is something that gives me a little bit of a respite from the novels, but the novels is kind of like what I'm doing. And like, I'm trying to figure it all out. I don't know anything about this whole process this is all new to me being, you know, we didn't do this with the first two novels because they were, you know, they were, it was Amazon. I sold them to Amazon's imprints and they kind of do their entire thing. Mm. And the idea to actually have this book that's actually in brick and mortar stores. Um, one of the things that was great was the mysterious bookshop, which is um, Otto's bookstore and which started, you know, where he started, you know, doing all that, you know, it's been there for over, it's been in two different places, but for 40 years, over 40 years, I used to go to that bookstore when I was doing the Equalizer in New York. And I actually met Otto then, and then literally lost touch with him for 30 years. And then suddenly recontacted him last year during the pandemic. And he read the manuscript that I'd finished and he offered to publish it. But I said to them last week, I said, it was always a sort of a dream to have one of my, a mystery book because I love mysteries and thrillers to see it on the table on the front of the mysterious bookshop. And that happened last week or two weeks ago, or maybe it's still there. And I just literally said right, right before we got on the phone here, I just literally sent a hundred signed copies to him. They're putting, you know, these are already all spoken for. And so I'm kind of going like, that's like a sort of bucket list thing, you know, that got to happen. Mm-hmm. That was like, great. Yeah, that's good too because the, uh, the timing of it uh, as well. Because if it would have been last year with the whole pandemic, you probably wouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> it would have all been virtual stuff. Well, it's, still, it's all been virtual stuff still. Yeah, pretty much. You know, yeah. I, I think you know people can come into the bookstore and get it. But yeah, a year ago the bookstore was closed. So yeah. Get it. So yeah, no, it's nice to be able to at least they're in brick and mortar, you know, mortar bookstores. I mean, look, I, of course, it's really easy to steer everybody and to be, hey, you know, on the, my website it says, yeah, go to Amazon, buy the book. This is where you can do it, Barnes and Nobles, etc. But of course, I love independent bookstores. They're like the greatest thing in the world. I mean, Book Soup, which is a store here and you know that I've been going to for years. They were kind enough to do an event last week, again, virtual. But, uh, you know, it's great. But then I went in and signed some books for them and there it is on the front counter. So, you know, that's, that to me for TV boy, you mm-hmm. know, at all these shows, I have to say, I mean, like I've had a very nice, good, solid television career, worked on 25 shows and love, love doing it. But I've gotten more satisfaction in the last year from writing these two novels than everything television wise, which I can't tell you why, <laughs> but, but I have, it's a really cool thing. Getting to talk to people like you about books and writing, it's like a great thing. Television, everybody's kind of going like, how do I get an agent? How do I get, you know, 
it's like yeah who's gonna star in it how are they gonna screw it up you know <laughs> yeah oh yeah i can't even imagine that world i was watching a show the other day about forrest gump the making of forrest gump and some yeah. executive said oh it's getting too expensive take out the vietnam part and the shrimp part <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like people don't know. I mean, like, it, it's like my, it's one of, the, you just don't know, right? I, my dad, who was a, you know, ran studios and agencies and was a producer. I mean, it, it's always been like that. Uh, you know, my dad produced uh, at a very young age, like thirty years old, thirty years, produced Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, okay. And, um, and he used to tell the story. He died like five years ago, my dad. But one of the stories he would tell was how they delivered the. They delivered the movie to Paramount and they screened it and they loved it, except for one thing. And they said to my dad and Marty Juro, his partner, they go, what is this song that's like playing? Like my Huckleberry friend. And <laughs> we need to just get rid of the songs, put something in there. My dad said over my dead body. Right. You know, it's like this song's like great. Right. And sure enough, not only is it in the movie, it's iconic, and it won the Oscar, right? Yeah. So he was right about that. <laughs> well, my dad also was one of the guys who cast Mickey Rooney as a Chinese guy, so that was probably. Uh oh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's... It, it, it evens up, you know. It's <laughs> somebody kind of pointed out, like they. I, I think I just saw it was on um, on Turner Classic Movies. They were showing things about you know sort of the culture now, and rightfully so. They said, "What were they thinking?" And you, yeah. could, actually, you could actually just pull that section out of the movie and it would fit they haven't done that but at least they needed to explain it so you know yeah yeah that makes the top list now whenever you see about the like uh things that wouldn't fly nowadays and yeah, yeah that's, that's one the... of them that's one of them yeah. <laughs> but, it's, but it's a great movie yeah yeah, yeah it is yeah yeah so what uh, i always ask a before, before i let you go i always ask uh and you, you're perfect because you've been teaching television writing uh, so obviously i've uh, uh, for aspiring writers uh, out there that any advice for them uh, f that are aspiring to write a, a mystery or a thriller uh, writers you're saying for television or for or for, for novels well for novels uh but, but, but tell is there a difference you think between uh, uh well, I, there's, like, there's a couple things i mean mm -hmm. i think you know uh, well write from your heart you know, I always say, I mean, to me, I always just care about, you know, everything's from my heart. You know, that's, I think why people seem to like this book is they really like Grant and Rachel and Frankel. Um, and, and that's, what's really important to me. Uh, in television, there's a couple of things. People write for television. Young writers will write spec scripts, which are scripts that are sort of versions of existing television shows. And, and sometimes that's asked for in certain like competitions you might do or people can read that but i always say write whatever is an original idea an idea that really you take to heart write what you want to write don't be and i would say the same thing for novels too the the biggest mistake people make i think in television and i again i don't know much about the book world but it's like what do people want i'm going to write what people want i want what they want and i'm going like who are they <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, who are those people? And television is like, you just don't know, right? I mean, and, and and it keeps changing, especially like in the book world where you write a book and by the time you turn it in and it comes out, it's at least a year from the time you do it, things change so quickly. So write something that means a lot to you, uh, you know, and write the story that only you, you know, could tell. It's funny, I just read this book, um, The Plot pretty cool book that's something she keeps writing about in the book saying write the story only you could tell mm -hmm. and then my dad told me a thing you know i mean i had a very interesting relationship with my father who's really successful and like when i what he he would say to me when i was the sounds of writer he said what could you write about that'd be really interesting to millions of people and i'm going like yeah i would have put it a different way but <laughs> did have a point you know yeah. and what i kind of realized was okay is find a story that is interesting to people. It's larger than life, like, okay, The Last Commandment. But then I can write stuff about like the milkshake that you get in the diner that's downstairs where you put them because that I know. And I know what those relationships are like. I don't think I know anybody who's going around killing people according to the Ten Commandments. <laughs> so literally I can make up this big stuff, but which is the fun stuff. But the reason I think people come back to this kind of book and the books I read with these continuing 
characters. I mean, I read so many of these, you know, mysteries and thriller, you know, like Dennis Lehane's early books about Angie and Patrick, you know, Michael Connolly's Harry Bosch. I mean, these characters, Joe Nesbo's Harry Hole, you know, I mean, all those characters to me, that's what brings me back. I want to see how those characters, you know, progress. But, you know, if you just were telling their story without these sensationalistic or these larger than life crimes and everything like that, you might not be able to get anybody to like, look at them. So I think that's the thing I would say, find a way to tell the story and write what you know, but at the same time, you got to put it also into us, into a larger than life thing that anybody would be, you know, it would catch their interest. Cause then once they start reading it, they'll stop you, you know, they'll like the plot twist and everything like that, but they're going to like the characters. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I think that's good. That's good advice. Yeah. And uh, important too, uh, because yeah, so sometimes you start worrying too much about what you think people want and then it can, right. ends up being a mess. <laughs> and how many times have we seen things that succeeded where everybody says, nobody thought that had a shot in hell. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the same people who literally, you know, uh, um, it's like, you just don't know. I mean, I, you know, to me, my father, when he was running, and my grandfather, great grandfather, all these guys were doing have stories like this. But I remember as a kid, my father was running Warner Brothers in the seventies, and he'd made the Towering Inferno, and he made The Exorcist. You know, in terms of you know, they produced those movies, which were huge successes. And I walk into my dad's study, and one night, and he's reading the galleys to a book, and I go, what? and I go, what is it? And he goes, he says, oh, it's about this little island community off Cape Cod, and they're terrorized by this shark. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, and he said, you know, it's by this guy. Peter Benchley is called Jaws. And I said, oh, so they decided not to make it. And because, and they were just laughing all the way because it was supposed to cost $2 million and Spielberg spent 10, you know, at Universal. They thought, oh, we made the right move. Then the movie comes out. And two or three weeks later, my dad left Warner Brothers. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so it's like, you just don't know. You know, that's the lessons I learned from it. You just write, take your best shot, you know, uh, uh, write your heart out put it all over the page, but then save a little bit of it up so you can go to the next thing because they're probably going to, you know, cut it to pieces. <laughs> so you have well, a little left. <laughs> but that is a rough business. It's like, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. And so where can the, uh, where can people find you? What's your website? My website is uh, Scott Shepard, S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D author.com. And if you go on there, uh, so scottshepherdauthor.com. And if you go on there, you can, you know, I've been trying to like do the whole Instagram, Facebook and Twitter stuff, really Instagram. And luckily, you know, befriended a lot of authors and book bloggers who are saying really good things. So yeah. And, and, and you can find out how to buy the book and you can read some reviews and, and there's some interviews like this. We'll put this interview up there when you let me know that's ready. And uh, that's how people will be able to, you know, see these things and find out a little more. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Scott. And uh, yeah, like I uh, highly recommend people go get the, uh, the last commandment. Um, so it was a great, uh, a great mystery. And uh, yeah, like I, the characters are awesome. So yeah, I highly recommend it. So thanks uh, for being on the podcast. Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to meet the thriller author. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with one of your favorite writers of mysteries and thrillers, or if this episode's guest is new to you, I hope you give their books a chance. Helping listeners discover new authors and books is one of the coolest outcomes of doing this podcast. As always, you can head over to thrillerauthors.com to sign up to my Thrilling Reads email list. That way you won't miss out on any great deals in thriller and mystery books. You can also check out all the links and resources in the show notes for this episode over at thrillerauthors.com. And also please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already and leave a rating and review wherever it is that you're listening to this uh, show. If you have done that already, I thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate your support. For my other links to my author website, social media haunts, and more uh, check out thrillingreads.com forward slash links all my links will be uh, on that uh, page so that's it for this episode Uh, see you next time and stay safe out there